Hello, friends. A special welcome if you're joining us for the first time. You picked a great week because we're launching into a new three-week series called The Opportunity of Pain. And I have been marinating on this content since July. So it's a good thing the series is here because I was about to explode. So just prepare yourself. It's going to be a lot of fun. Um, I've been working as a pastor now for over two decades. And during that time, I've noticed something. It's not necessarily something that I like. It's just sort of something that seems to be true for all of us. It goes like this. Eventually, and maybe you've noticed this, eventually everyone's life falls apart. Isn't that an encouraging thought? Like it happens for all of us. It can happen in all sorts of different ways. It can happen physically or emotionally or vocationally or relationally. It can happen in a couple different ways. I was just sort of thinking about all the different experiences I've had and friends have had. And I thought, well, sometimes it happens suddenly, right? Like you had a plan for your life and that plan included going to grad school. Uh, unfortunately, the universe did not seem to share your plan. And there was a day that you went to the mailbox or maybe opened your Gmail account and there was a rejection letter. And it was like there was this path that was in front of you that's no longer in front of you. Pain enters your story. Life kind of falls apart. Or maybe for you, there was a day where you got called in for your like annual review at work and they informed you that your services would no longer be needed, right? And there was this, this conversation and you had this path sort of forward where you were, you had already given some of the best years of your life to this company. You figured you'd probably retire from this company. And they just said, you know, we don't want to continue our relationship with you. And suddenly pain enters your story. Suddenly, not a lot of warning. Uh, there are some of us have had a call in the middle of the night, which by the way, are those ever good? right? Uh, a call in the middle of the night and, and you find out that your dad isn't doing well and an ambulance has been called and sort of all of a sudden fog descends on the future. You thought you knew what it was going to look like and, and now with the pain, life has sort of fallen apart. Maybe for some of you, you were planning a wedding with Mr. Right and you got a text message and Mr. Right informed you he wasn't Mr. Right. And it was a big deal because you were already checking out potential wedding reception venues. I mean, this is, you know, kind of a thing. But it's like, what do you do now? Pain enters, life falls apart. Or, or, or maybe for some of you, you had a lunch with a mom or a dad and they informed you that they were no longer going to be married to the other spouse. And suddenly you look forward to the holidays and they don't feel like they're going to be the most wonderful time of the year anymore. So it can happen suddenly. Pain enters your story. Life falls apart. It can also happen slowly, gradually, almost like water working against a shoreline, eroding things away. I think of a friend who recently had this experience. Uh, he's been struggling with his teenage daughter, and he found a picture of her when she was 12. And when she was 12, he's looking at this picture, and he goes, she was beautiful, and she was innocent, and she was so happy. And now he looks at her, and she's 17, and she's still beautiful, but she's not innocent, and she's not happy, right? And it's like, he's like, I just had this moment, this awakening, like this has been coming for a long time, but, but I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do anymore. Life just got really complicated. Or another friend who a few years back watched the business that they had built over a decade sort of drop in sales month to month to month, lay it off key people. And pretty soon the business is just a shell of what it was. And we had coffee and he looked at me and he goes, you know, I don't even remember exactly when this thing went wrong. It just sort of slowly eroded away. But now I'm looking at a situation I never imagined that we'd actually have to wind down this company. The future was clear. Now it's not clear. Pain has entered my story. It feels like life has fallen apart. And so this series is going to be my attempt to frame the challenges 
of this life in maybe a way that's unexpected. Certainly not something we would drift to naturally. For the next few weeks, what I want to do is I want to chase down a, a, a really important question, especially when it, with regards to our faith. How does our faith uh, interact with life when it falls apart? This will be the question that will drive us. What does faith look like when life falls apart? What does faith look like when life falls apart? We're going to be honest about the fact that life can be really hard. And when pain enters our story, it's really natural for faith in God to struggle. It's easy to start to believe that God doesn't love us, doesn't care about us. And maybe if, if for you, it was like, I'm not even sure if he's there. Because if he was there, there's no way he would have allowed this to happen. I mean, I've had friends that have literally checked out of their faith because of pain in life. Matter of fact, I've had a lot of friends that have taken some time away but, but here's the thing that's so fascinating. When you work as a pastor, you get a front row seat to sort of people's faith journey. Not everybody who has pain enter their, their lives loses their faith. Over the years, I've noticed something, and this probably is the most counterintuitive thing I'll say all day, but along with being unbelievably challenging and disorienting and frustrating and disturbing, this pain is your greatest opportunity to grow in your relationship with God or to establish a relationship with God if you don't have one yet. That's worth repeating. Pain is your greatest opportunity to grow in your relationship with God or to establish a relationship with God if you don't have one yet. Now, there's a difference between an opportunity and a realized opportunity. Not everybody who has pain under their story ends up growing in their relationship with God. But what I want to do for the next few weeks is, is talk about how you can activate that opportunity and leverage the pain in your life to build a stronger relationship with God. And to do that, we're going to spend three weeks in an Old Testament psalm. Now, the psalms are songs. And if you were to open your Bible, right in the middle, you'll find the book of Psalms. Now, if you use a Bible app, that doesn't work anymore. Sorry about that, right? But if you sort of open your Bible, you're in the psalms. The psalms are the songbook of ancient Israel. They're prayers or poems or, or literally songs, some of them had musical accompaniment, and it's this, these ancient conversations between people and their creator. And the psalm I want to explore with you was written by a man named David. You've probably heard of him. It was written 3,000 years ago. Uh, and this is, by the way, the David that you may remember from Sunday school if you grew up in church. Uh, he begins his life as a humble shepherd. Uh, he becomes a giant slayer. This is that David who takes down Goliath. He was a gifted poet. He was a mighty warrior. He was a legendary king. Um, but if you've read about his life, you also know that David was a complicated man. He was far from perfect, deeply broken. But nonetheless, the Bible describes him as a man after God's own heart. And I think what that means is that even in the midst of his brokenness, David never stopped aligning his heart to God's heart. And because of that reality, David came to know God deeply. And consequently, whenever David talks about God, and we have a record of these ancient conversations, we really should lean in and listen because there's all sorts of insights as to how we can relate to God. So David writes Psalm 139 as a poem or a prayer, and it's a poem or prayer literally addressed to God. It's a conversation between David and God. And David begins by giving us three powerful observations about the character of God. So what I want to do is we're going to actually read all of Psalm 139 today um, through our time together, and then we're going to go back and pick it apart for the next couple weeks. But I'm going to read you three sections of this psalm, three series of verses that are all sequential, and there's three observations that sort of fall out of that. So here we go, Psalm 139, verse 1. David writes, 
O Lord, speaking to God, you have searched me and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out, my lying down. You're familiar with all my ways. You just, uh, before a word is on my tongue, you know it completely, Lord. You know what I'm going to say before I even say it. You hem me in behind and before. You've laid your hand upon me. And then he just sort of erupts with praise. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too, too, too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. So I, you say, well, what, what do we learn about God uh, through David's words in those first few verses? I would say this, God knows everything. In other words, there has never been, there is not, and there never will be anything God does not know. There's not a single thing about you or me that surprises God. In other words, he knows you better than you know you. That's the first observation. As David continues, we get to the second. Uh, next series of verses, David says, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I were to go up to the heavens, you're there. And if I make my dead, bed in the depths, meaning if I were to die, you're there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there, your right hand will guide me and your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me, like I bet I can hide from God, and the light will become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day. And this is a great line. For darkness is as light to you. Hide and seek with God, no fun, right? Okay. So these verses sort of give us David's second observation, and it goes like this. God is everywhere. So not only does God know everything, God is everywhere. And he doesn't mean like God is everywhere in a Star Wars, the force sense of the concept, right? To David, God is not an impersonal force. He's an intensely and passionately relational, personal being. He's everywhere. You can't hide from him. And because of this reality, David would say to you and to me, hey, wherever you find yourself this morning, you need to know something. You've never been closer to God than you are right now because he's everywhere. It's like you need to be aware of it and awaken yourself to the potential, but you right now have never been closer to God than at any other time in your life. That's the second observation. God is everywhere. Third observation, uh, next series of verses, David writes this. For you, God, created my inmost being, you knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. He said, my frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. So after David says God knows everything and God is everywhere, this is where it really gets personal. It goes like this. He says, God cares about you. God cares about you. In fact, even before you took your first breath, God was uniquely invested in your life. He created each one of us individually, on purpose, for a purpose. He chose to make you you. He placed you in the family you were placed in. He therefore chose how you would look. He chose what sort of pizza toppings you would prefer. Like everything about you was on purpose. He created you with the devotion and obsession and passion of an artist. You might say this like you are God's art prize entry. Contextual. Thank you very much right there. Yeah, right? Yeah. 
And God cares about you because God created you. So he knows everything and he's everywhere, but he also cares about you. And if you pause and think about this for a moment, David has just told us something absolutely incredible. See, I have friends, many of you are here now at Keystone, but I have friends who I have invited to sort of participate in the weekend experience for us. And kind of in a playful moment, they would say something like, you don't want me to go to your church. And I would say, well, why would, why would you say that? I mean, you know, we have popcorn. And, and they'd say, well, if I walk through the doors of your church, I'm afraid that God will send a lightning bolt and collapse the building on top of everybody, right? Because you don't know what I've done, but, 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 but I mean, if I were to walk in and God were to start paying attention to me, like it would be bad for everybody. I'm so screwed up, I think, you know, God would just take the whole mess of us out. But 3,000 years ago, David told us why that doesn't, doesn't happen and why it won't happen. The first time any of us walks into church isn't the first time God pulled our file. It isn't the first time he's ever paid attention to us. God already knows everything about you. And what's more, he's been with you always. He's everywhere. He knew you before you were born. He's been there for your greatest achievements. He's been there for your seasons of pain and loss and failure and regret. Friends, he knows your greatest secret. Nevertheless, he still cares for you. I heard a pastor recently illustrate this reality in a memorable way. We'll put it up on the screen. He said this. He said, God sees you as a piece of art, even when you're a piece of work. Isn't that great? I was like, that is a bumper sticker waiting to happen, right? I'm going to get one, put it on the side of my minivan. Wait, I have two minivans. I need two bumper stickers. I am that cool, right? Yeah. But if you get your mind around this truth, it really should fill you with wonder. That the creator of the heavens and earth cares deeply about you. And that's precisely where David goes next. He sort of erupts in worship. Here's what he says. He says, how precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. When I awake, I am still with you. It's like David is overwhelmed with God's care for him. And that's where we're at, at the end of verse 18. But what's fascinating is, as David continues, he aggressively shifts gears. And the following four verses are violent and intense and troubling and confusing. In fact, I grew up in church and I've literally never heard these verses discussed during a talk, but we're going to do it here because we're that hardcore. I'm convinced, in fact, they are the most important verses of this entire psalm. And they actually give us the context in which David wrote this psalm, these verses bring this psalm down into the real mess and confusion of our lives. Here's what, here's what David writes. He says, if only you, God, would slay the wicked. Right? He just got done like, God, you're amazing. You're everywhere. You care about me. Your thoughts about me are just too wonderful for me to consider. Now, by the way, if you, God, would slay the wicked, away from me, you who are bloodthirsty, they speak of you with evil intent, God. Your adversaries misuse your name, God. Do I not hate those who hate you, Lord, and abhor those who are in rebellion against you? I have nothing but hatred for them. I count them as my enemies. And you're like, David, dude, try the decaf, right? Like, what is going on? You go from praise God from whom all blessings flow to I want you to kill everybody who doesn't you know, trace, chase you like I chase you. What's going on? Well, in these verses, we discover why David wrote this psalm in the first place. When he wrote this, David was the king of Israel, and he was leading his army into battle. 
In fact, David wrote this psalm from the trenches of battle. He wrote this song from the trenches of life when things were not going well. I imagine earlier that day, Israel had clashed with their opponents and many lives had been lost. And now it's evening and they're tending to their wounded and they're cooking dinner and they're preparing for the battle tomorrow. But David can't eat because David is staring at a list of men he lost in battle that day. And maybe he's considering those conversations he's going to have to have with parents whose children were slaughtered in battle under his command. And it's like David starts to wrestle with the things that we wrestle with when life falls apart, he begins to emotionally disappear into darkness. Now just imagine those, that inside voice that David is, this, this inside conversation he's having. It's like, today could have been a victory and it wasn't a victory. See, God could have, but God didn't. And David, in this moment, feels abandoned by God. And he thinks, God, if only you had slayed the wicked this morning, if only you had done differently in my life, if only you'd intervened, you certainly could have, and you didn't. You're everywhere. You know everything. And for some reason, you chose not to help me in this moment. I don't think David's the only one that's ever had that thought. As a relationship collapses, as a health concern enters your life, as a job situation erupts into just total confusion, it's like it's so natural to say, God, I feel like I've been faithful to you. Where are you? If only you'd intervened. That's the context for Psalm 139. God, David writes about God knowing and caring when everything had fallen apart. And in this moment, David's faith is encountering the reality of the battlefield. David's asking if God knows everything, and God is everywhere, and God cares for me, then why am I losing the battle right now? And again, I think we've all asked that question, and that's why these verses are so critical, even though they're violent, because only in the context like that does this psalm enter the real world. Friends, this is not a psalm simply to be read when life is going as planned. This is a psalm written by the defeated, for the defeated. This psalm is a song for the trenches. It's a song for those of us who can't sing about the goodness of God right now. You ever had that? You walk into church and the worship band starts and we're singing about how good God is and you're sitting there thinking, I don't know. <laughs> I don't feel it right now. I mean, if I had to go up on trial, I would have some evidence to say that may not be the case. How could God love me when life hurts this badly? And David gets it. And because of that context, this psalm helps us answer the question, what does faith look like when life falls apart? In Psalm 139, we see what the faith of a man after God's own heart looks like. And if I'm honest, David does things I don't tend to do when my life falls apart. David encounters the same despair and fear and shame and anger that the rest of us do, but he doesn't let those emotions take control of him. Instead, he unleashes his emotions at God himself. And it's something that a bunch of us don't feel like we have permission to do, but we do. And God already knows what we're wrestling with. And David knew that God was the only one strong enough to handle him. He knew that he had to take his full self in glorious honesty to God. And that only God could truly help him when he's in the trenches. 
And so with this perspective, we see the first 16 verses of this psalm in a new light, right? All of that God knowing everything, being everywhere, and caring about him are David's way of reassuring himself of the faithfulness of the one in whom he placed his trust. David reassures himself because everything in his circumstances suggests that God doesn't know, isn't there, and doesn't care. So in these first 16 verses, we discover the big idea for today. It goes like this. When you're in the trenches, faith becomes an intentional decision to continue placing your trust in God. When you're in the trenches, faith becomes an intentional decision to continue placing your trust in God. And some of you just need to rest there because of what you came in here with today. It's like, to consider that, it it feels like, how can that even be intellectually honest? And David would say, no, no, no. If you understand who God is, this is the most rational decision you can make. When you're in the trenches, choose to continue to place your trust in God. And to be clear, this has nothing to do with what you feel. In fact, uh, the author of a New Testament letter written to Jewish Christians called Hebrews describes faith or trust this way. He says, faith is the assurance of things not yet seen. So of course, when life throws you into the trenches, you must assure yourself of the victory you're not seeing right now. When you're in the trenches, faith becomes more complex. Faith becomes more mature because it's not just a belief thing. It's a decision to trust that God is telling a good story with your life, but it's a story with some really, really hard parts. That is the essence of faith. Again, it's not just a belief thing. It's what, it's what you mean when you say that someone is a faithful husband or wife, right? I brought a picture of, of my wife, Sarah Ann and I, um, and obviously I married up. That goes without saying you were all thinking it, so I'm just going to put it out there, right? And uh, I mean, I remember 14 years ago standing at the front of a group of friends uh, at a church and promising to be faithful to my wife. And and just to be clear, I have not been a perfect husband. She'll be here in a few minutes. You can ask her. She'll tell you, right? Uh, But um, I have been faithful. And that doesn't mean that on our wedding day, we just believed we would be faithful. See, faithfulness isn't just a belief. It's a decision. Faithfulness needs a chance to display itself in the midst of conflict And in the midst of doubt, when I say I've been faithful, I'm referring to the times my marriage has been difficult. Faithfulness is continuing to choose commitment in the face of challenges. And that's what being a faithful husband or wife looks like. And that's what being a faithful man or woman of God looks like in the trenches. It doesn't matter if you feel it. David certainly did it in this moment. It has to do with an intentional decision not to turn your back on the God who promised he would keep his promises. It's an intentional decision to keep placing your trust in him even though everything in your battle seems like it's not going well. That is what we see in Psalm 139. And the last two verses prove it. After David unleashes this fear and this anger and frustration at God, he ends this prayer, this poem, like this. He says, search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. I mean, know what I'm worried about, God. I mean, see if there's any offensive way in me. God, am I wrong now for thinking this? It just feels 
feels like you're not even paying attention. But then he says this, and lead me in the way everlasting. God, I trust you moving forward with my life. Even though right now, it doesn't feel like the right thing to do, I'm gonna choose to trust you. Here's why David is a hero of mine. He doesn't stop talking to God after he unleashes on God. And that's what I think most of us tend to do, right? We're, we're, we're comfortable just telling God what we think, but then we sort of stop talking. Instead, David does something that sets men and women after God's own heart apart. He ends the prayer by saying, God, that's just where I am right now. And you already know it. Even the darkness is as light to you. I'm not hiding it from you. And if I'm wrong, being confused and frustrated, then please point it out to me. But I need you on this battlefield with me more than ever I trust you and I will continue to trust you. And then David says, amen. And friends, that's, that's why this psalm is one of my favorite psalms in the Bible. It's an incredible picture of what faith looks like when life falls apart. It's a pledge of allegiance to God, even when it seems he's given up on you. Psalm 139 is a psalm for the trenches of life. David proclaims that God has never let him go before and that he wouldn't let him go in his darkest moments. So he reminds himself who God is and he chooses to believe. And that move makes all the difference in the world moving forward. It makes all the difference in the sort of man David becomes. So if you find yourself in the trenches this morning, let me encourage you. Remember that God is still in control even when it doesn't feel like it. He knows you, he cares about you, and he'll never let you go. We want to close down today in a special way. The band's going to come, and I just want you to rest in that thought, especially if you're here this morning and you're in the trenches, and life is hard, and it's dark, and you're wondering about faith and where is God and you came here this morning thinking God I'm going to give you one more chance and you feel like all of a sudden maybe this was for you and maybe it was for you but I just want to give you a, a moment before we dismiss just to to be with that thought to think about the fact that God is inviting you to trust him moving forward even though life feels impossible and that in choosing to trust you're sending your life on a very different course. That he still loves you. He still knows you. He still cares about you. He will never let you go. When it feels like surgery And it burns like third degree and you wonder, what is it worth? When your inside's breaking in And you feel that ache again And you wonder, what's giving birth? If you can let the pain of the past go
stand and I'll close us in prayer. Heavenly Father, this morning we just affirm the truth that life is hard and you are good. We also affirm the reality that, uh, that we don't always like it. Pain is the crucible in which our faith is matured. And so I pray for friends who are in this space this morning and life has fallen apart. I pray that something in the ancient words of David would speak through the generations to them and, and they would understand you as the God who knows, the God who cares, even when we find ourselves in the trenches. Pray that you would lead us one step at a time, give us strength to do the next right thing. And in time, may we find that we grew closer to you in the trenches and that we would not be who we are without those times. And so I pray that your peace would invade our situations even when those situations remain unresolved.
and that you would give us confidence to trust in the God who gave it all for us. We're gathered here this morning because 2,000 years ago you sent your one and only son among us as the way and the truth and the life so that we might know your heart. And so we thank you and we bless you. In the matchless name of Jesus Christ, we pray everyone said, amen. Amen. Friends, go in peace. We'll see you next week for part two.